0: Welcome to the season finale of Trashy Divorces. Happy December holidays. Happy whatever you celebrate. We are here to wrap up season four yep. trashy divorces. And year one of Trashy Divorces. And year one, incredible. Super exciting. Incredible. This week we are going with a, a controversial Christmas song. I hate the song, but yes. I know you hate it. Hate it. Baby It's Cold Outside. Here's what's funny is it's so this song, Baby It's Cold Outside, is attached to Christmas. Never mentions Christmas in the whole song. Right. It's just cold. Okay. No, there's a a fantastic story about the song. Okay. This is our Christmas welcome to Uh, our Christmas crooner episode. Yes. About Baby, It's Cold Outside. This song was written in 1944 by a guy named Frank Loser. It is used in the film Neptune's Daughter, which was released in 1949 and originally performed by Ricardo Montalban. Than Esser Williams. I love her. So a little fun fact. In the 1940s, I don't know if it's still this way today. It still may be. But if you were a Hollywood star, you had an act prepared, even if you were entertaining at home. Frank is married to this lady named Lynn Garland. And this is Frank and Lynn's act. When he played this at the piano and they did their little duet, it meant it was time to GTFO put on your coats and go home because our party is shutting down. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Lynn Garland, Frank's wife says, we became instant parlor room stars. We got invited to all the best parties for our years, just on the basis of baby. It was our ticket to caviar and truffles. Parties were built around our being the closing act. So this song, much like divorce, has had some experience with,
1: Controversy, sure. It's the Pina Colada song of winter.
0: It is the Pina Colada song of winter. It is
1: entirely horrible, and you hate it. Mm, I do, I do, I do. I have for years. I'm so happy that the internet figured out it's terrible. So it is terrible. But, but I am a Christmas song hater. To be fair, like I, this one, although is uniquely bad. <laughs> Sorry, Frank and Lynn, or whatever your names are. Okay, go ahead. I would rather simply roll with the
0: title. Sure. Baby, it's cold outside. It's a great episode title for our Christmas crooners, as well as a gentle reminder from the Trashy Divorces family to you. Baby, it is cold outside. It is freaking cold outside. If you have extra coats, hats, gloves, scarves, because it is cold outside, why don't you bag them all up? Take them down to your local homeless shelter. Take them to your shelter for gay and trans youth or even a women's shelter. Instead of arguing about an 80-year-old song that nobody's ever going to win, let's make real live people warm this season. Wow. Maybe it's cold outside.
1: So you're saying take action that's meaningful rather than have pointless debates? That's exactly what I'm saying. Crazy talk. This that, is America, Alicia. That's exactly
0: what I'm saying. There are a lot of people who are cold. You can warm them up. If you have extra stuff, go take it to somewhere in your area where it can be of use sure. to people. Did we
1: say who we're doing
0: No, why don't you ask me who I'm doing? Who are you doing? What I am doing this week is bringing out from the archives of Patreon one of my very favorite trashy divorces with a true crime adjacent angle. This week, I'm covering the trashy divorce of Andy Williams, another older man, younger girl, his ex-wife Claudine Langer who also murdered her boyfriend, U.S. Olympian skier, Spider Savage, back in 1976.
1: This is the kind of Christmas story I can get behind. Done and done. How about you? Who have you got this week? I have Mariah Carey and her first marriage to record exec and really like big shot and like hit maker. That's his autobiography. uh, Tommy Mottola. That was a good Um, story. It's a good story. I mean, it's the outlines are already in the Trashy Divorces (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> history but but yeah it's it's all right it's okay <laughs>
0: so yeah andy williams mariah carey two of everyone's favorite christmas crooners mm-hmm. before we start the episode we've got some patreon updates as well as a little bit of news so on patreon this week what happened oh i covered part two of my shakespeare tinfoil and feather hat donny head coverings with I could have been a contender yeah. with the other people who possibly could have written Shakespeare as well as covered our side piece this sure. week. Everyone's favorite fashion maven goddess. And Nazi.
1: Coco Chanel.
0: Woo. That was super fun.
1: Sure. Magic mirror time. Who joined um, us in the magic mirror this week? So <sighs> many people. Okay. With huge gratitude. Thank you, Danielle. Liz F. Carrie from the Sip and Shine podcast. Anna K. Elizabeth C. Michelle F., Katie R., Erica S., Jill W., Tara U., Jesse L., Erica S., and Mary J., who is our 500th patron. patron. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. One through
0: 501 now for joining us over on the Patreon. We are so grateful and can't tell you how much we appreciate you. Supporting what we're doing over there.
1: Yeah. Okay, little business. We have a live show December 29th at Vinkman's here in Atlanta. This is an early show, 6 p.m., so we hope to see you there.
0: Y'all, we can't wait to see you in Atlanta. And here's your super secret hint. We have a lineup that just might send you somewhere
1: over the rainbow. (gasps) All right. I mean, I'm ready to stuff my stockings with trash candy. Let's close out Trashy Divorces
0: 2019. Let's go, go, go.
1: All right. So it is bonus divorce time. September bonus
0: divorce.
1: Alicia. Stacey. You've been hyping this one. You're excited. This has true crime. This has everything. I have been sitting on
0: this since back in the days of Fun With Done and just like holding it, holding it, holding it, which it's so hard for me to hold shit today oh Uh, i'm telling the trashy divorce of andy williams and claudine langer with the side bonus attachment of her love affair and murder of spider savage
1: so it's a story that has everything
0: everything okay we're going to start with our love affair before we get to the true crime bit our star-crossed lovers andy williams claudine langer Claudine is a January 29th baby. She's an Aquarius, born in 1941. Claudine Georgette Langer, she's born in Paris, is a child she used to skate on one skate at the Pont Neuf. Apparently, her parents come over from Paris when she's 18, and she wants to be a big star. But she doesn't land in Hollywood yet. She puts herself in Las Vegas first. Hmm. She's a showgirl hmm. at the Follies Berger, at the Tropicana. And maybe... That's how she meets Andy Williams in 1961. The fabled story that's told is she was stranded on the side of the road late at night and Andy Williams, who is a famous crooner, stops to her rescue. However, it happens the love affair's on. Andy's 33, he's never been married. He's a December 3rd baby, born 1927. He's a Sag. Andy Williams starts his career out singing with his brothers, the Williams Brothers Quartet. And then, like, in the early 50s, launches a solo career. And I was curious, like, why are you 33 and still single? Like, you're a Randy Young singer. You're, you know, sitting on a rainbow. What Mm -hmm. the fuck? Why? What's up with that? So Andy Williams, beginning from, like, 17 years old, has a long-term love affair with this lady named Kay Thompson, who was twice his age. She is a singer, a vocal arranger, a vocal coach, a composer, a musician, a dancer, an actress. She's worked with everyone. She is also the creator of the Eloise children's books. Oh, later Mm -hmm. in her life, after Andy Williams disses her. They have a long term affair during both of her marriages. I was going to ask if she was married during this. Yeah, yeah, affair. yeah. Okay. From 1947 to 1962. They're lovers for like 15 years. He's lovers with someone twice his fucking age. When he gets married to Claudine, Kay splits over to Rome and never remarries. Hmm. Okay. Between Andy and Claudine, there's a 14 year age difference on the other side. Interesting. So, like, Now Andy Williams has been with someone considerably older for all of his adult years, and now he's got a baby-faced fucking teenager in the follies? What the fuck? Okay. But she's French, so. She's French. Worldly. She's very French. Okay. So, 14-year age difference between our lovers. They marry Christmas 1961. 1962, comes Andy's biggest hit yet, Moon River, Mm, written by Johnny Mercer. One of our, like the webs all over this. One of our Savannah boys used in the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. So Andy Williams' career is going pretty great. He's got a sweet new young wife and huzzah. Their first daughter comes quickly, Noel, followed by a son, Christian, the next year. Everything's grievy. And the Hollywood machine is like, "Uh, hey, Andy, like... We like what you got. You want to be on TV. So in 1963, he gets his own show where Claudine, who is tiny and petite with like this rocking body and maybe less of a good voice, but whatever, stars two on the show and they do dorky songs together, like easy listening shit. And she like does these accompanying dance numbers that are fucking hilarious. Like YouTube them. They'll anyway, <laughs> it's the family business. They're hot on the scene. Their Christmas special is the highest rated program in history at the time. Wow. It took like, whatever, six Super Bowls to beat that record. It took a long time to beat their... So like, think about when John Denver is up and coming, like, let's get him on TV. It's what they did with Andy Williams a decade before. Okay. Okay. In 1963. Claudine gets this two-episode role in McHale's Navy. Guest spots. Andy calls her my favorite French singer. Oh, Herb Alpert falls in love, of like the Tijuana Brass, falls in love with her, offers her a record deal. So she releases five albums for a and with like all these easy listening covers. Five albums from 1966 to 1970. Oh, she gets a lead in a movie in 1968 in a movie called The Party, which is written, produced, and directed by Spiderwebs' Blake Edwards, the husband of Julie Andrews. Dominic Dunn, in his episode of Power, Privilege, and Justice, the skier and the starlet, used to party with her when he was doing his thing in Hollywood and described her as stunning. Like, she was physically stunning to look at, and both Claudine and Andy were very popular on the party circuit. Okay. So popular, in fact, that they move with some real big-time movers and shakers. They're super close with Robert Kennedy hmm. and his wife, Ethel. Robert and Ethel regularly socialize at the home of Claudine and Andy, and Andy regularly go visit the Kennedys wherever they are. Andy and Claudine are at the Ambassador Hotel on June 4th, 1968, the night that Bobby Kennedy is shot. Wow. They have made plans to go out to this exclusive nightclub, invitation only nightclub at the time called The Factory, not Andy Warhol's New York one. They're in L.A., but The Factory. Andy and Claudine are hanging out in Robert Kennedy's suite at The Ambassador. And Robert has to go down and give a speech, but they're all going to go hang out at The Factory and mm-hmm. woo, be exclusive. And... Before Bobby went down to give a speech, they talked to Andy and Claudia and like, okay, I'm going to give you this hand signal like at the end. Like, I don't know if I'm in or not, but I'll give you the hand signal at the end. Come down and get me and we'll go. So yay or nay. If you watch the end of the speech at the very end, Bobby Kennedy does two things. He gives a thumbs up and then a peace sign at the very end. I don't know whatever the hand signal. I don't know if it was the thumbs up or the peace sign that Andy Williams is looking for on the television but whatever whichever one it was the plans on interesting so Andy Williams heads down to the first floor to meet up and hear shots and yeah and yes Andy and Claudine join the family at the Good Samaritan hospital where doctors try like for the next 24 hours to save Bobby Kennedy Bobby passes June the 6th. They do attend his funeral on June the 8th at St. Patrick's Cathedral. They are both devastated by this. And Andy Williams sings Battle Hymn of the Republic at his funeral, which he calls the hardest thing I've ever done. Andy and Claudine join the 21-car funeral procession to D.C. for Kennedy's burial at Arlington.
1: I know you know that I have this opinion, but I do genuinely believe that History changed right then. Robert Kennedy's death. Yeah. Really it changed ev- everything. Kicked American. Everything. Kicked America in a particularly like unpleasant direction. That's everything. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. It's coming one day. Is it
0: attaches to his older brother's death, which are plans I have for November, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Claudine and Andy devastated right. by their friend Bobby's mm-hmm, death. Sure. In nineteen sixty nine, they have their third child named Bobby Mm, after their friend, Robert Kennedy. So all is going well enough hit show albums, happy family. So it's even more shocking in 1970 when the hottest couple in town announces that they're splitting up, they separate. Although the divorce is going to take a lot longer and maybe Claudine wants to try to not hang on to a man for a minute and she hits the road and she heads on out to Aspen, Colorado We talked a little bit about Aspen in the John Denver episode. Like at the time in the early 70s, it's a wild west town, lots of money, lots of stars. It's kind of a a blooming ski town and it's hot now and it's going to get hotter in the next few years. And Claudine wants to be there for it. So one fine day, she's at a skiing exhibition and who comes along but a dude. She's still married, separated, Mm -hmm. but here comes a handsome dude, charming. He's like the whole package Why, it's U.S. Olympian Hmm. and pro skier, who's the hottest ticket anywhere, Spider Savage. Oh, and he's rich, too. I didn't mention that part. Handy. Claudine sets her sights on him. She wrangles an invite for the weekend where she knows he's going to be staying. And she spends the weekend going after that man. And after that weekend, they are hooked. I don't know what kind of power she has over men. There you go. By like 1973, she has moved into his chalet Hmm. with her three kids. Oh, He owns his own home. It's not a home. It's a chalet in Starwood and Aspen, whose neighbor, his chalet is next door to fucking John Denver.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, right. You mentioned John Denver and
0: his wife, Annie, have bought property in like the very best place in Starwood and Aspen. Now, Starwood and Aspen is a fucking gated community. That is, at the top, you see the Rockies. Like, it's gorge. But you don't get in Starwood and Asses, where all, like, the high-profile people live. You don't get in there without, you can't just go drive around. Right, okay. right. So, remember, John's one of the first property owners. He picks the best lot and the lot next to that for his home and his guest home. Remember, John Denver bought the land without really money to buy build a home on it like he buys the land with his leaving on a jet plane money but then country roads money comes along and they have enough to build so he's building his house next to spider savage's chalet okay there's this really cool thing that i watched because the home has been renovated and is now up for sale and i've seen it twice now in videos up for sale the chalet or john denver john denver's home oh there's a waterfall and this little summer stream and a bridge that goes over it and it's got one of the first Outdoor fireplaces built in Aspen in 72. It's also got this weird, like, trying – It's anyway, I digress. His home is going to become important in a minute. So
1: we would describe it as amenity-rich. Oh, for sure.
0: And the Reno on it isn't crap. Like, it's okay, but they they kept a lot of the neat stuff in because, I mean, think – Lodge think Mountain Lodge so they left they cut a lot of the Mountain Lodge out and put in a lot of cleaner white industrial things while they left the old kitchen stone brick fireplace and anyway it was fascinating real estate tour I rabbit hole okay all right so in 1975 Claudine also records a song for the Little Prince album which was the book based on the, with Gene Wilder and the snake. And that gave me nightmares when I was a kid. So I can't talk about it for two. Like (laughs) literally, I still have nightmares about this. Interesting. That wins best album for children at the 76 Grammys. So Claudine said, these are like
1: super successful people. Yeah. These are going
0: great. Okay. But Claudine, who has moved in with spider in 73 by like 1975, the relationship is noticeably fractured. On one instance, Claudine throws a wine glass pretty much at his fucking head when he wasn't paying attention to her. In 1976, Spider retires from pro. He has a spinal compression thing. Hmm. And where he's, because it's always been important in Aspen, like, they do a lot of drugs, but they're really health conscious about it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like, it's a weird... No, Colorado, to to this day, that's Colorado.
0: Live hard, party hard, but... Mm Of course, we're going to drink carrot juice while we're doing cocaine. Like, I, I mm-hmm. sure. Yep. So her divorce is finalized in 75. He quits the tour and now he can actually party a little harder than he's used to partying. And Claudine's home with the kids and Spider's like really done. So you talk to his friends, like the first few months of 1976. And maybe Claudine, now that she's divorced, is like, let's get married, let's get married, let's get married. But she's an insane person. So he's talking to his friends like, uh, she's really jealous. And how do I get rid of her? She's lived with me for a few years. I, like, he used to take his her kids camping. Like, he likes her kids. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the part of that family dynamic he's really into.
1: Yeah, he's been doubting, Yeah.
0: But she's got to go. So in 1976, that winter, he says, you got to go. You know, I like your kids. I feel bad about it. But you need to be out of my chalet by April the 1st. We know this because Claudine has written in her diary about it. Claudine's mad. Claudine's really angry. She's super, super angry about this. So on Sunday, March 21st, she heads on down to town, has a wine-filled lunch at Little Nell's. Claudine joins up with Spider at a party in the afternoon. He leaves. She follows after him. She's in kind of a rage. She's seen sort of drunk driving all around Aspen looking for him. And she ends up racing back to Starwood and running through the security gates. So Hmm. that's cool. Uh, Ten minutes later, there's a call about a shooting in Starwood. Oh, God. Not suspicious at all. Now... The autopsy says that Spider Savage was shot leaning over, like, the sink, washing his face, prepping to shave. The gun was at least six to ten feet away from him. Claudine says the gun accidentally went off when Spider was teaching her how to use it Mm. because he was going to go out of town the next day. And our relationship was perfect. And what a horrible accident this is. Uh, I needed to be safe in this gated community that nobody gets into. Okay. Now, just a little drop. Spider was raised around guns. His family is like, this is ludicrous. He's never going to teach anyone to use a gun inside, wrapped in a bath towel with shaving cream on his fucking face. No, that's not how you... It's not how you do it. Okay. Also, the police are idiots, but they're able to tell that the gun jammed a few times because of the trigger. You can see the hammer marks on the bullet where it didn't go off. So... Claudine kind of loaded for bear on that. She got off five shots before the bullet actually managed to go.
1: This seems like it would be a fairly easy court Should, case. Piece
0: of cake, right? So the police get there and Claudine, because the officer didn't know what the fuck to do with her. He's mm-hmm. was like, sure, she can go on the ambulance to the hospital. Just keep her there.
1: Don't let her out of your sight. But let's, because he's not dead like they, yet. Okay. Well, and also it sounds like Small town cops at the... Right, like, small town cops in the 70s. Pitkin County. Yeah. They don't have murders in... Yeah. Sure,
0: don't let her out of your sight. Let her go to the hospital with them. But let me find out what the fuck's going on around here. Because they're looking—is it an accidental shooting? Right, right.
1: Is there anything disturbed? Was there a fight? You know. Well, there- and it's and it's like the most exclusive community in. The, yeah, like rich people don't shoot each other. Come on, like yeah. They so do. Claudine heads off to the hospital with Spider. Mm-hmm. He dies on the way,
0: but while she's out of the house, detectives are kind of looking around. Like they all they know is it's a shooting at this point. Right. So. They take a look at her diary, which has all of this. Dish Spider isn't gonna fucking dump me. Like, I'm mad about. It, I'm angry about. Blah, blah blah blah. Also, during this time, the cops administer a blood test, and cocaine is found in her system. On April eighth, nineteen seventy six, Claudine is charged with homicide with criminal intent. She hires an attorney named Charles Weedman. Oh, I forgot. Here comes ex-husband ex-hubby sure andy williams he flies in yeah to the closed aspen airport closed at night but he's there to be by her side he pays for all of her lawyers he supports her through the whole thing and so their divorce is now finalized their divorce is now finalized but he is going to stick this is the the most okay people magazine august 2nd 1976 this is by barbara wilkins She needs me very much right now, says singer Andy Williams of his ex-wife, Claudine Langer. I'm going to be as supportive as I can. Next month in Aspen, Colorado, she goes on trial for for felony manslaughter in shooting of her lover, Spider Savage. The manslaughter charge is ridiculous, says Williams. She could get up to 10 years. I think if it weren't for the children and me, she would have gone crazy. Their three kids, kids—Noel, 12, Christian, 11, and Robert Andrew, 6, have been living with Claudine since the couple divorced in 1975 after 13 years of marriage. Claudine's refusal to leave Aspen after Savage's death surprised Williams. I said to her, Jesus, let's get out of here. She said, no, I want to stay. This is where I'm going to raise my children. She made them go back to school the very next day. She very recently bought an old Victorian townhouse. The people in the town feel it takes a lot of guts and prove she isn't running away.
1: I mean, right. I can certainly understand his desire to keep his children's mother out of prison. hmm. Oh, for sure. Which I'm not saying it's great. Which he does. But, like, what is his loyalty to his ex-wife's boyfriend, right? Hold like, on, hold on. Hold, oh.
0: he's, he talks about that. Oh. oh, wait a minute. Okay. So there's some more paragraphs, blah, blah, blah. Um, here's the, it talks about how they met and did, she was earning $800 a week at 19 She thought the whole U.S. was like Las Vegas. She took a taxi from the L.A. airport and tried to pay the driver with a gambling chip. (sighs) Like, I don't know. So a year and a half after they meet, they're married. And he says it was very difficult to live together compatibly. Her interests were so different than mine. I was interested in the establishment. She'd be playing tennis with Peter Fonda and I'd be playing golf with Bing Crosby. I don't know why we separated when we did. We probably shouldn't have gotten married to begin with. She was stifling me in a way. She's a very strong lady. Williams professes to understand her feeling for Savage. She loves Spider. That was good enough for me. I'm sure he was really a first-rate fellow. According to Claudine, he was just wonderful with the kids. He used to take Christian on two-day hiking trips, something I never did. Uh, Hold on. This is the best part. Whatever Williams says, he will always harbor memories of friendship, respect, and a kind of love for Claudine, but I don't think you can go back. This is a freaky part. He remembers trips to Paris when he was a young man. I would always go to the Louvre, and I used to see this little girl roller skating all the time on one skate. She was eight or nine years old, and she lived by the Pont Neuf. Years later, he discovers that girl is Claudine. Hmm. Spiderwebs. That is weird. January 77, trial starts. Okay. And her new Aspen attorney, Ron Austin, is there. And her top paid legal team, paid for by Andy Williams, gets three things thrown out as ev- from evidentiary use in the trial. Want to guess what they are?
1: Her diary, the gun, and her drug test. <laughs> okay. uh, so earlier when I said this seemed like a pretty straightforward case, I guess not... With actual evidence, yes, it's a very straightforward case, but the three very best pieces of evidence right. that they have on her are out. I guess the cops didn't have a warrant to look at her diary. I, I wonder what
0: they're... Okay, so here's the thing. She said the diary was in a drawer, and there was no way they could have known to seek it out in a drawer, that it had contents that would be interesting to them to write on a warrant to get from because remember they're still looking in her house so if they picked up her diary oh yeah let's add this to our warrant yes it is in fact illegal the cops say hey the diary was out on a dresser we picked it up thumbed through it and we're like yeah we definitely want to get a look at this but apparently there was something with the photographers that when one of the cops was looking at the diary and holding it as they were photographing the room so in one picture the diary's on the dresser, in the other picture it's not on the dresser. So it's a highly paid defense lawyer. Team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: yeah, and prosecutors who've probably not tried a murder trial that often. Andy Williams gets brought in to be a reluctant prosecution
0: witness at her trial, or someone that's attested. Uh, that oh god, so he comes in to testify and ends up you know. Total defense of her. This is the trial only lasted like four days, but the prosecutor's last witness were Mr. and Mrs. Peter Green, who swore that Andy Williams said on March 22nd, the day after the shooting, Claudine is a crazy chick. She likes to drive too fast, she skis too fast, and she takes chances. So Williams testifies that he comes to Aspen March 22nd to be with Claudine and my children. After we got settled in, To John Denver's guest house, because that's where they stay. Sure. The Greens, Mr. and Mrs. Peter Green, are their wealthy neighbors of Spider Savage, so they take in the kids. So there's this whole thing about what he said to them. I said she, I wouldn't have said this. He's trying to deny that. He was like, yeah, she probably fucking did it. I don't know. That's kind of what it sounds like. Claudine actually says to him that night, like, do you want to hear about what happened? I'll tell you. It totally was an accident. So he goes in, totally defends her, Uh, says she wasn't the kind who took chances. She was careful, especially around people. She drove faster than I would, but she wasn't a reckless driver and she was a very careful skier. I don't know. It's all bad, but he totally stands by her, defends her. Here's another bit. Claudine also hires a lady called Sydney Stone. She's a seamstress to the stars. And remember Claudine's super hot body, like smoking hot? This lady dresses Claudine in sack dresses with Peter Pan collars. No sex appeal. So they are trying to do everything they can to diminish right, the right, like, take, raw sex appeal yeah. that tiny petite French Claudine Minimize
1: has. the glamour and the glitz.
0: So on the stand, when Claudine does take the stand, she's very innocent and schoolgirl. She's really soft-spoken the jury all has to lean forward to hear her. Uh, of course, we were the best of friends. I had no reason to want him dead. I mean, she's an actress after all. The trial's done in a week. Jury's out for three hours and comes back with a guilty verdict. Not a felony manslaughter, but a misdemeanor of negligent homicide. A misdemeanor, hmm. and it carries a fine. Maybe up to two years in jail, which Aspen is really pissed about. Like, they didn't like her coming to town because she took Spider off the market. Every hot lady in Aspen was pissed. But now you kill him and you may just get two years and you killed the dude that was doing everything for our... You killed the mayor of Aspen. What's wrong with you? The judge sentences her. She gets 30 days in the Pitkin County Jail and has to pay a $250 fine. Oh, but no worries. We're not going to take you today. You can just show up Claudine when it's convenient for you. Like, arrange your jail time around your childcare
1: needs. That's fine. So, so the evident, like the, the hammer marks on the bullet or whatever, that was not allowed to. Wow. Nope. Like, how pissed are you if you're a juror on that case and you learn these things later? Right? Like, what's the fucking point? I... She does serve a few days in jail. Woo! Uh,
0: once she gets there, it's totally cool that she gets to paint herself pink. It's at the Pitkin County Jail. So, like, there's room service. This is like
1: Epstein-level bullshit is what this is. No,
0: she doesn't go to jail for like five months later. First, as soon as the trial's over, she splits down to Mexico for a little seaside well, vacation. Well, r and Sure. Being on trial for murder's hard. Come on, Stacey. Doesn't sound that hard. The family of Spider-Savage does file a wrongful death suit against her. The amount, undisclosed, it was settled out of court, but one of the conditions Claudine can never talk publicly about Spider. Claudine still lives in Aspen. She lives a way undercover life. She ends up marrying her defense lawyer, Ron Austin, in 1985. They're still married. I guess he really believed she was innocent. I uh, In 1980 mcjagger writes a song claudine to go on their emotional rescue album which there's some legal action over so it never really gets released but there's some bootlegs with it on it um like burn the flame backwards like go have fun hunting down that rabbit hole about claudine it is released on their whatever 2011 thing shitty ear part claudine is also the star of a saturday night live skit at the time where the skit is this lingerie invitational and skiers come down the, and she, she shoot, accidentally them. shoots them. Mm-hmm. There was a cease and desist letter sent to Lorne Michaels and uh, an apology on next week's show after that happened.
1: Huh, I would, I would be so angry if I, if if I had sat as a juror for that trial. Oh yeah, and then later learned that, oh, all of the evidence was excluded. The murder, the homicide trial of Claudine Langer.
0: Andy Williams does remarry in 1991. He opens a, whatever casino hotel in Branson, Missouri, and appears there. He's known as honorary mayor. He lives a long and happy life. He dies in September of 2012. Okay. I was like, like 2017. No, okay, like yeah. The like, okay. Age of 87. He's born in 1927. He dies in 2012. Okay. So, 85. Like, Mm -hmm. long happy life with a fucking crazy ex-wife who literally got away with murder yeah so there's the trashy divorce of andy williams and claudine langer who separated in 1970 took five years to get the divorce and as soon as you got the divorce (laughs) is the time you decided to start your career in homicide so good on you claudine
1: yeah that's upsetting that's really upsetting
0: dude it's such a all the spider webs that are in that though John Denver, Kay Thompson, The Factory, Robert Kennedy. Like, I've been sitting on mm-hmm. yeah. the associated spiderwebs. I hope y'all enjoyed that bonus divorce. A little true crime adjacent for you. Spiderweb loaded. I'm mad.
1: I'm mad about it. What are we going to do? M- nothing to do. I guess we're going to tell the story and make it clear that she killed the guy.
0: Have I uprooted some Dominic Dunn warrior for justice in you now? Like he did, he covered this on power, privilege, and justice. He was mad about it too.
1: Well, and I think my favorite murder, this was the first, that was the first time I heard of it. Um, oh, really? Yeah, that was the first time I'd heard of these people. So I've been into this case for a long time. Mm, no, I remember at the time you were like, oh, this is such it's a good such story. A good story. So there you go. Yeah. Don't shoot anybody. No. Advice from us to you. Get All right. Gun down. Put the gun down.
0: So, Stacey, you're bringing us a Mm. trashy divorce today of a more recent famous Christmas crooner. A
1: diva in all the best possible ways. All our listeners want for Christmas is Mariah Carey's
0: (laughs) trashy divorce.
1: Phrasing, phrasing. Yes, the trashy divorce of Mariah Carey. I don't even know if the divorce was that trashy. Really, the setup for the marriage was trashy. Okay, tell me. I can't wait to find out the story. Okay, so Mariah Carey... Noted singer, songwriter, diva, five octave, like supernatural voice, right? Like, for sure, yeah, like genetic mutant voice, yes, okay, in a good way. That one, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, But I mean, even exceptionally talented singers usually don't have that much range, right? Okay, so Mariah Carey had a first marriage back in her 20s that really follows a pattern that we've seen on this podcast quite a few times. She was 23. She was newly famous. She walks down the aisle with a much older man with an obsessive plan for how her career would play out. Oh, Lord. Mm. It sounds like Sonny and Cher. Yeah. It sounds like Ike and Tina. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: no. Is that what we're getting in for? Well. Go. You know what? Do it.
1: Way less domestic violence than in Ike and Tina. No, none, as far as I know. So, So we have that going for us. Okay. So just a few years before the 1993 wedding... Mariah Carey's friend and fellow pop singer Brenda K. Starr had taken the recent high school graduate to a record executive's gala and handed, I guess Mariah handed her own four-track demo tape to Columbia Records bigwig Tommy Mottola. This was December of 1988. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Two weeks later, Tommy Mottola signed her, envisioning a female champion for his label, Columbia Records who could go up against the likes of Whitney Houston over at Arista. Madonna was over on Sire. And so it was Tommy Mottola's, you know, perception that what he had on his hands was, like, the future talent of the world. Sizzling hot. He was not wrong, it turns out. No, for sure. All right, so let's talk about how we got here, though. And we'll start with Tommy, because Tommy's a little bit older than Mariah Carey. How old is Tommy Mottola? He's 20 years older than Mariah Carey. Oh, Okay. Also, when they meet, he's married. What? And has been <sighs> for 20 years. No. And has two kids. Okay. Okay. I um, see what you mean about the setup. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Tommy's career had started a good two decades before this young chanteuse walked into his life. Thomas Daniel Matolo was born into a middle-class Italian-American family in the Bronx on July 14th, 1949. He's, he was a cancer baby. He's a cancer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he broke into the music scene in the mid-60s under the stage name T.D. Valentine.
0: Oh, Lord. Can you
1: imagine? Okay, whatever. All right. His performing career obviously didn't really take off, but he got a job in the industry. He launched his own artist management company. And then, you know, he signed Hall & Oates, and that was his first big get as a manager. So over the years, he's managed... It's a pretty good get. Yeah, it's yeah, a It's a pretty good get, yeah. He has um, either... Ma- I don't know how long he did the artist management thing, but I think maybe about 10 years. But he he is credited as being a manager or a mentor for, like, a ton of people you've heard of, including on this podcast, like... Carly Simon. Wow. Uh, John Mellencamp. No way. Diana Ross, who we covered over on Patreon. What? On Sidepiece not too mm-hmm. long ago. Taylor Dane, Gloria Estefan, Shakira, and Jennifer Lopez.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's he's. Okay.
1: I mean, he's, he's got a the, he's big got the deal. Chops. He's a big deal, yeah. So in the late 80s, he was brought on to what would become Sony Music, where he ran U.S. operations and ultimately he became the CEO of Sony Music in 1990. He's credited with taking the brand from $800 million a year in revenues to $6 billion a year in revenues. Holy mm-hmm. Christmas. And he pioneered things like digital downloads. So he really kind of set the company up for what was coming. He's, wow. He's an innovator. Okay. And he also has a tie-in with your story. So aside from bolstering careers like Ricky Martin, Mark Anthony, and Jennifer Lopez as part of the quote-unquote Latin explosion... Right. Uh, he also promoted sort of old school artists by having older albums digitally remastered and then releasing them. It, these were artists like Barbara Streisand, Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, and Andy Williams. Williams. Mm-hmm. No way. Yep. So Tommy was also busy with some personal matters in the late eighties and early nineties because, as mentioned, he got married back in nineteen seventy one. This was to Lisa Clark, whose father had founded ABC Records. They had two kids, and by 1990 they were in divorce proceedings. Wow! Mm-hmm.
0: But so, he signs Mariah in '88.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. just making sure my timeline is mm-hmm.
0: matching up here. He signs,
1: yeah, like 19 or 20 year old Mariah. And, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. Cool, mm-hmm. cool, cool. So this is a good spot, divorce court, to uh, drop Tommy Matola at the trashy divorce depot and move on to to our next victim, just Mariah sweet Carey. <laughs> And songwriter. That was a part. Oh, really? Yeah, I was not aware. She has co-written much of her catalog. Huh. And I didn't know that. And obviously, you know, hey, you can make a great living being an amazing singer performing other people's songs. But yeah, like I was like, oh, my God. Okay. She's way more talented than I realized. So there you go. Good for you, Mariah. My bad. Okay. So she was born in either 69 or 70. I'm sure there's a story there. On March 27th, a fire sign, Aries. little Aries girl.
0: Oh, Aries and cancer. Mm. Yowza.
1: Um, her home life was complicated. Uh, so her father was African-American and Afro-Venezuelan. Her mother was the child of Irish immigrants. And so when these, like her dad was like an aeronautical engineer or something like it, This was a perfectly fine match, except racism. So they marry in 1961, which causes mom's family to disown mom shit on account of you know did i mention racism okay yeah so mariah has commented as an adult that her maternal family's disdain has always been a sore spot for her and as a side note you know if people could stop being awful for like five minutes a day that'd be really cool it's the holiday season just don't don't be awful Mm -hmm. be nice so even worse the marriage that like cost her mother basically her family ties did not work out oh no and when mariah was three her parents divorced oh gosh so mom was left financially bad off but eventually was able to settle the family which was mariah and her i think younger brother morgan into a decent neighborhood and there was also an older sister who went to live with dad okay and i think mariah and her father stopped having any kind of contact when she was pretty young Anyway, so it was, like, not a, not a lavish upbringing, it sounds like. It sounds like it was a pretty stressful upbringing. Okay. But, uh, you know, Mariah excelled in the stuff that she cared about in school. Apparently she she cared about the things she cared funny about. Funny how and kids are like that. Yeah, kids I was... great at shit they care about. I was like that. So she wrote poems, and later she began adding music to them. She was exceptionally talented at music, as you can guess, even at a young age. So her mom, Patricia, had been an opera singer and vocal coach, so she was really, really supportive of her daughter's interest in music. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, she also was the first to identify that incredible vocal range and helped train Mariah. I guess it's called the whistle register is like it's – so anyway. Interesting. It, it's Mariah Carey. We all know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Like she – yeah. Okay. In high school, she met her first music writing partner – which was an older guy named Gavin Christopher. He had been active in the scene in Chicago and had written for and been in bands with Shaka Khan. Among many others, he'd also produced for Grandmaster Flash, was really into the early hip-hop scene. And notably, he was the same age as Tommy Matola, who she, of course, had not met yet, but I feel like there's a bit of a pattern forming here. So she's in
0: high school hanging out with someone 20 years older than she is.
1: Yeah, but it's it seems like it was a music connection yeah okay um and then they also met musician and songwriter ben margulies i'm sure i'm pronouncing that wrong um and he rounded out this sort of trio and he he stays with her for years like they're writing partners for years okay so she graduates from high school in 1987 (laughs) wow moves into a one-bedroom apartment in manhattan with four other women they are they are living the dream mattresses on the floor they are living the living dream living the dream that's what you um, do she's waiting tables apparently very badly to pay her rent in her spare time she and ben are hanging out recording writing like just they're trying to get a demo together so she can get that to so she can meet Tommy Matola at the christmas party or Come any on. yeah any yeah <laughs> so they do get this recorded and then she makes it her mission to get it in front of record labels but is constantly rebuffed for quite a while. So this is how we arrive at the December 1988 record executives party where Brenda Starr has brought her aspiring friend to see if she can't make something happen for herself. Well, so, good for Brenda Starr. Totally. This is very cool though. Mariah finally has a chance to hand the demo off to somebody who maybe, if the stars align, can help her career. So as Tommy Matola's limo drove him home that night, he pops the tape in. Two songs in... He tells his driver to turn around and go back oh, to no. the party. But Mariah Carey had already left. So fortunately he knew who Brenda Starr was. Right. And so he spends the next two weeks like calling her management, like Trying I to need hunt to f- her down. Yeah, I need we need this Mariah girl is like the next thing. This is my Whitney Houston. Like we need her. I got her. I, I found yeah, her. <sighs> need her. Okay. Wow. So Signs her immediately, and he already had envisioned what the rollout of her debut album would look like, who was going to produce it. She wanted- Well, had two weeks to think about it. Right? Come on. Um, yeah, she wanted Ben to produce it, but, you know, Tommy was like, look, I'm Tommy Matola, I run Sony. I can get you all the big names in the business, and I don't know who this Ben guy is, but whatever. So, you know, so things already, just at the outset- Look good. Well, and she's losing a little bit of control. Yes, they look very good. This guy's super intense, but it turns out like he is not bullshitting her because he gets Columbia to put up a million dollar marketing budget. He's going to her make her a star. Debut record. She's mm-hmm. going to fulfill all of her dreams. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. So her first record, Mariah Carey, lands on June 12, 1990. It took time for the album to find its audience, but that audience was out there. The following February, Mariah won Grammys for Best New Artist and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance for her single Vision of Love. Wow. This catapulted the album to the top of the charts for 11 weeks. Vision of Love topped the singles charts, followed by three other singles from the record, Love Takes Time, Someday, and I Don't Want to Cry. And she was the first artist since the Jackson 5 to put her first four singles in the number one slot whoa yes rarefied air so that album was the best-selling record in america in 1991 it moved more than 15 million copies
0: holy cats Mm -hmm.
1: and again like she's 21 or something just it's remarkable okay
0: all of her dreams are coming true
1: Yeah, so once again, we have a suddenly super famous person who is barely able to legally drink. So this is where we go back to (laughs) Britney Spears, whose rocket ship to fame led to some really questionable personal choices. We have an older man with a clear vision of how to take a talented and ambitious young woman to the heights of stardom. So there's your Sonny Bono and Cher and your Ike and Tina Turner. And yeah, this is just a recipe that is not at all out of sync with the stories we tell on this podcast. So apparently in his autobiography, Tommy confesses that their relationship, which at the time was usually dated to 1991 in press reports. Tricky. After divorce Uh had been filed, actually started before that and broke up his marriage. Oh. Yeah. In the book, he apologizes specifically to his kids from that marriage.
0: That is probably appropriate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's really easy to imagine this girl who grew up without a dad in financially tight circumstances, nurturing this dream, falling into the arms of a guy around her dad's age who has a ton of money, is wise about the thing she is most interested in, and is not only emotionally supportive, but materially supportive of realizing that dream. And it's also really easy to imagine all the ways that's not going to work out. No, but at 21, if that's your life experience, I'm sure you think you've landed. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, again, I I cannot imagine. I just remember, like, what a just dummy I was when I was, like, I was 18, an 19. Idiot. Yeah, like If fame had been an option, I wouldn't have known what to do with it. Absolutely not. Yeah. Anyway. Failure was hard enough. What would you do with fame? And I was so busy failing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Failing all the time. (laughs) Adulting was so hard back then. Okay. So in 1993, they get married. Tommy was 43 years old. Mariah was 24. Wow. To prepare for her walk down the aisle... Because, you know, go small or go home. I don't know. She studied tapes of the Charles and Diana royal wedding. Did she really? She really did. She had a family heirloom tiara redesigned to go with her ivory silk satin Vera Wang gown. Robert De Niro was an usher at her wedding.
0: No way. According to press
1: reports, Bruce Springsteen, Ozzy Osbourne and Barbara Streisand were all on hand among 300 other guests. She wore $1,000 satin pumps and put an 1893 sixpence in one for luck. And oh. if you, like me, Google what is a sixpence, a site comes up specifically to sell you one for your wedding. So you got that going for you. Why
0: 1893, I wonder? Don't know. We'll have to research that. That's fascinating.
1: Don't know. Okay. I mean, I did look it up. It's it's still British. I thought it was British currency, and it is still British. I mean, it's not still. They don't make them now, but. Interesting. It's a British coin. Apparently, the re- like something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, and then a sixpence of British currency for your shoe. That's is the way the rhyme goes. That's that what goes. I've always heard. Yeah. Right. So that could be true. Fantastic. <laughs> a bit of out of circulation money for your shoe. Mm, okay. <laughs> As a gift to his blushing bride, a marriage that Tommy would later say that his therapist and all of his friends advised him not to get into, Uh, Tommy uh, set uh, about uh, building a massive estate in Bedford, New York, up in Westchester County. So I think this is about an hour, hour and a half north of the city itself. Okay. Nestled on a 51-acre parcel, the mansion itself had nine bedrooms, seven fireplaces, two swimming pools, a pistol range, a ballroom, a conservancy, and a recording studio. Baby, it's cold outside. Why do you need seven fireplaces? Okay, you don't. But, okay, in the in the diva thing, the entire third floor of this estate became storage for Mariah's vast and ever-expanding wardrobe.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. Okay, so keep in mind, when she first met Tommy, again, she was living in a one-bedroom apartment with, with four roommates right. and mattresses on the floor and, like... This is more room than she's ever seen in it's, her life. And, yeah. And it's it's way outside the city. Everybody was hustling to make it work. And now she is all of twenty-five. She has fame and all the money she can dream of. And he wants to get her out of Manhattan and into some suburban bliss in a palatial estate that looks like an enormous nineteenth century Austrian country home. With I mean seven fireplaces. I mean she'll stay warm. <laughs> Shh <laughs> But no, I mean she again. She is a young person who has all the energy for the nightlife. She, I'm, I'm sure. Like, hey, you baby, married a
0: dude twenty years old, let's, are Yeah, let's
1: head up to the big house in Bedford. I'm sure this was like really because there's it's a fun party going Thursday on Thursday in the city. I don't yeah. need to be up. Yeah, um, wow. I'm, okay, so Mariah of course was busy with her exciting new career, and she apparently did not take to the. And I saw this described both ways the castle or the princess palace um very well and so she would re- again and her friends are her own age too there's just a big gap in this marriage that's not gonna get filled in anyway with her friends of her own age her appropriately aged friends she started referring to the castle as sing sing which is just it's a no. prison name but also it's what she does sing
0: Sing, sing.
1: <laughs> There's a story out there that Jermaine uh, Dupri tells about, like he was up there trying to produce music at their home studio. At sing, with, sing. Mm-hmm, at uh-huh. sing, sing. And Mariah like ran away. Like it was, I, I think it was right before the divorce. Like she just, she was out. She just disappeared. <laughs> See, you use the secret
0: entrance at the back of fireplace number five, mm-hmm. and it gets you to the Batmobile. It gets you to the underground cave.
1: Yeah. 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 Yowza. All right. So late 93, Mariah decides to embark on her first concert tour. She had avoided it to that point, both because she has stage fright. Hey, same. And because her vocal range lends itself to very complex songs. And she's super, she's a super perfectionist. I think her feeling was that it would be really easy to get out on stage and not be able to deliver what a you spectacular can do. Sure. performance. So there was some there was some criticism. Like people were like, "Oh, maybe she's one of those studio artists." She did like an MTV unplugged set at one point, and then anyway. So she she heads out on a tour when Music Box is released. It's her third record. The second one, Emotions, had done well, but not as well as the first album. So she does a short tour, and this really it works. I mean, it it lands the album. The song Hero hit the top of the charts. It's her eighth number one single. She's so young. Whoa. It's, it's so remarkable. And Music Box itself topped the charts and became one of the best-selling albums of all time, with 28 million units sold. Holy crap. November 94, she releases Merry Christmas, which has sold more than 15 million copies and it's one of the best-selling Christmas albums of all time. For sure. There's a, there's a reason she's in Christmas crooners. It also introduced, or if you're not into Christmas music like me, inflicted, All I Want for Christmas is You on the World, a song she co-wrote. In late 95, she released Daydream, which was celebrated as one of the best albums of the year and a real growth moment in her songwriting, just in her maturation as an artist. So, "One Sweet Day" spent sixteen weeks at the top of the singles chart, and was the longest-running number one song in Billboard Hot One Hundred history for twenty-four years. That's recent. What well, kicked it off? "Old Town Road." Oh, just Maz. this oh. year. The album sold twenty-five million units, and Mariah was nominated for six Grammys at the nineteen ninety-six awards. What do you think happened? Any, she won any a lot. Guesses? Any guesses? No, she came up empty.
0: Oh, 96, I was being a stupid early adult, yeah, failing. I didn't have time to watch the Grammys. Yeah, I was too busy okay. failing.
1: Okay, so February 96, she and Tommy, who again is like the man behind the music or whatever, you know, however he views himself husband and manager kind of combo, they get all gussied up like you do going to the Grammys. He's the head of Sony. He's, his wife is Mariah Carey. They rule the world. Okay. Mariah wins nothing. Oh. They sit through the entire ceremony, and Mariah's name never gets called to come to the stage. Oh. So when Tommy wrote an autobiography, which he called Hitmaker, years later, he said of this night, quote, You could hear the crack between us cracking open a little wider on a night that I was hoping would allow us to look back on all the good times that had brought us this far. Fat chance of that.
0: Oh, man. Okay. So
1: all the... After these awards things, all the thing, there are after parties all over town, right? And Sony, of course, has a big after party for the Grammys. Tommy and Mariah head over to like his company's, I'm sure it was intended to be a celebration of Mariah Carey. Um, He had to make them turn off the replay of the awards ceremony and just play music videos to keep her from absolutely losing it because she was so mad. How? God, it's
0: just heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. So things in the relationship were clearly on the downhill by this point. And, you know, if you think about it, she was little more than a child when they met. And so she was just going through all of these firsts, you know. And she was just part of a different generation than he was, as were her friends. And Tommy had already had all those firsts, including a marriage and children and his own massive career success. Sure. So, you know, it is not long before there are rumors swirling that Mariah Carey is getting a bit tired of her husband.
0: Oh.
1: So we will let People Magazine's Steve Doherty, Sue Miller, and Wayne Edwards, writing back in 1997, explain how this went down. Quote, Mottola had been married for almost 20 years and had two children when he first met Carey. Then an 18-year-old restaurant hostess turned backup singer at a Manhattan industry party in 88. Yikes. Eager to discover the next Whitney Houston, Matola snatched up a demo tape displaying Carrie's operatic range as she tried to hand it to a scout. It just sort of happened, Carrie said of the romance that bloomed after Matola, whose divorce was finalized in 92, signed her and dined her. Here I was, coming from an apartment with mattresses on the floor into this whole different world. But as the world turned, Carrie grew to feel trapped in the $10 million princess palace she and Matola built on a 60-acre estate in Bedford, New York. Wow. He's controlling, a friend of Carrie's says of Matola. Mariah is really into rap and Tommy's not, says a friend of Matola's. There was a big-time generation gap. Apparently too big. She was a kid when they met, adds Carrie's pal. Here's an old man and a young, beautiful woman. It's not surprising at all. Okay. Harsh. Harsh. Tough, but firm. Anyway. So later, she would say of the marriage, quote, You might want to picture a child bride. There was a conscious effort to keep me as this all-American, whatever-that-means, girl. It was very controlled. There was no freedom for me as a human being. It was almost like being a prisoner. But there were kinder reflections, too. So in 99, not long after the divorce... She said that growing up, she, quote, always felt like the rug could be pulled out from under me. With Tommy, I felt safe and I felt a sense of family. It just didn't work out because it became too suffocating. For I mean, it's, yeah. It's what you would expect. Yeah. You know, like it. Yeah. Okay. So for his part, Tommy Matola has said that since their relationship uh, has said since that their relationship was, quote, absolutely wrong and inappropriate because it broke up his marriage like he. Okay, And uh, he's also, though, claimed a lot of credit for all of her success. And so on the one hand, yes, like he had the name and he put the million dollar marketing budget and he like, yes, it is appropriate for him to claim some measure of launching her career, but he did not invent the talent that is Mariah Carey as a singer, an artist and a songwriter. Tommy did not stay single for long. Oh, (laughs) yeah. You'll be surprised to hear. Okay, so in December 2000, he married Mexican singer-songwriter and actress Talia, yeah. who got her start singing in a kids' group called Pac-Man at the age of nine. Oh, my God. But, I mean, she seems like a total badass, too. She's about the same age as Mariah, and beyond being a massive pop star, she's also a telenovela star. Yeah. So. Things with Tommy have gone better this time around, and they just celebrated their nineteenth wedding anniversary oh, and have two kids together. So awesome. Yeah. Mariah also married again to comedian Nick Cannon, with whom she had twins Monroe after Marilyn Monroe, and Moroccan after the Moroccan themed room in her home where Nick Cannon proposed. <laughs> okay. Yep. All wow. right. So Would uh I ever- yeah, they makes mar- you sing sing. They uh they married in the Bahamas in oh eight and they were separated by the end of twenty fourteen with the divorce finalized in twenty sixteen. Oh wow. So as of twenty nineteen, Mariah Carey's music has spent more time at the top of the Billboard Hot One Hundred chart than any other artist in US chart history. She has had eighteen number one singles, also a record for a solo artist, and second only to the Beatles. Wow. She also has the most number one debut singles of any artist, with three launching at number one, Fantasy, One Sweet Day, and Honey. Her net worth was estimated to be around $520 million earlier this year. That is a lot of Moroccans. And in case you were wondering about that castle that Tommy built for her, it went on the market when they divorced, and ultimately sold for $20.5 million, a price that was almost twice that of any residential sale in Westchester County History. It's like three million a fireplace. In every arena, Mariah Carey breaks records. Uh, And then, final note on that fucking castle, it burned down the following year. (sighs) No. Yeah, it was like a family of six or something that some corporate executive um, bought it so that all of his kids could have their own rooms. Uh, And then when they were renoing it, it burned. (laughs) I think they went ahead and completed put it back together I don't know anyway it's like the house is cursed (laughs) and uh that's my Mariah Carey story she's she's kicking ass I mean she's like 51 now and looks amazing sounds amazing has had this amazing career since she was very young and can't argue with uh
0: my mouth is that was a lot of (laughs) trash candy okay
1: how many trash cans oh god Oh, I mean, Child Bride
0: Breaks. That's five. I got five. See, I would go with seven just for the number of fireplaces.
1: You know what? Let's go with seven for the number of fireplaces. I, I mean, you don't have to... Ultimately burned down.
0: Wow. Some irony in that.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... Yeah, uh... was, that was
0: amazing. Thanks, Stacey.
1: You're very welcome. Yeah. All I want for Christmas is... All of you listeners... That... Speaking of Christmas Mm.
0: and holiday season, this is it. This is our last episode of 2019. Year one in the books. Year one in the books. Take a deep breath. My God, what a year. (sighs) That was, what a wild ride. Thank you, each and every one of you, for putting us in your little ears Mm -hmm. every week and supporting our creative endeavor and the little thing we're doing and... Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Thank, thank you, thank you,
1: everyone who's reached out, everyone who has tweeted stuff at us, everyone. Like, thank you. It's been, it's been a remarkable uh, run. We kicked this off on the first of January, twenty nineteen, and we did. Here, We're four seasons in. Here we are now, and super excited about next year too.
0: Okay, speaking of next year, now, mm. st- now, now, mm. maybe the time. Now maybe the time to drop it. So some hints. We are coming back to y'all with regular Sunday episodes starting Sunday, January 5th. January 5th, it's a great time to announce. January 5th begins season five, and season five has a theme for Sunday, and we have a new Patreon series happening at the $5 level as well, appropriately entitled, Ocean's Eleven, The Twelve Degrees of Frank Sinatra. Hmm. So for all of y'all who are like, gosh, I wish they'd do some old Hollywood. What about Sinatra? What about the Kennedys? What about all of those good... What about the Rat Pack? Y'all, it's all coming. Every Sunday within season five, the story or one of the stories will have a Frank Sinatra adjacent tie. Of which there are
1: so many
0: It's hard to narrow down the spreadsheet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And on Wednesdays for our Patreon series, Oceans 11, there'll be a follow-up or something adjacent that gives in a little bit more, a little bit scandalous or trash candy about what we just did on Sunday. So it's going to connect. It's going to be super fun. I'm so excited about the season of Frank Sinatra coming up January 5th. That is when season five launches.
1: We may be back.
0: We are going to be back on New Year's Day. We
1: will. We have a plan.
0: We have a plan. We have a fun little happy New Year's Day surprise. one, One year bonus. So if you miss us on Sunday, please consider giving a gift to yourself and joining us on Patreon. We still have our regularly scheduled content coming out on Patreon through the holidays. Thank you again for... The Amazing magic of year. this year yeah. and happy, whatever you celebrate, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, happy, so I'm going to sit this. in my house in my pajamas and eat pie. I'd happy, whatever sure. way you celebrate.
1: Mm-hmm. We're for it. And again, thank you for the most remarkable year. Incredible. And the cats send their love as well. They've been trying to be quiet and failing all year long.
0: Complete failures. Complete failures. Okay. That feels weird to say this, but until 2020, Ah, keep it trashy. Keep it trashy.
1: Thanks, everybody, y'all. Cheers. Have a wonderful holiday and new year, and we will be back soon.
0: Have a super trashy holiday. We can't wait
1: to see you at Vinkman's in Atlanta
0: for a very trashy new year. Yep. Big cheers, y'all. Bye. Bye.